My name is Julie Turney, and this is HR Sound Off, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent HR topics. But ultimately, we will be settling some of the many misconceptions that people have about the human resources profession. Some weeks you will hear from my guests, and other times it will be just you and me in the sound booth. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's sound off. Hi, everybody. So for today's discussion, we are talking recruitment. Why is this topic so pertinent that I'm raising it again? Every recruiter or HR professional has a different perspective, has a different spin. And today's show is no different. We are bringing a definite new spin to how you as professionals should be looking at recruitment, how your organizations should be looking at recruitment. My guest today describes herself as the blue-haired recruiter. And that's not because she likes blue hair in terms of seeing it on someone else. She has blue hair. And she's an absolute amazing enthusiast when it comes to recruitment, diversity, and inclusion, and also recruiting people who we view as different. So not all of us are the same. And do we really appreciate what talent brings to the table, no matter what shape, size, or variation it comes in? Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the Sound Off booth today is Madison Butler. Madison Thank you for joining me in the sound booth today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Now, Madison and I met through Disrupt HR. Madison actually applied as a speaker for Disrupt HR Barbados, which unfortunately we've had to postpone. But I still felt that it was pertinent for us to have this discussion. And I'm glad that we have this forum that we can actually have this discussion on today. So, Madison. The question that I ask everyone else and I'm going to ask you is no different. Tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get here? Oh, gosh, on accident. Um, (laughs) So I think coming out of college, I had always assumed I would kind of be in a retail space. My mom's in the retail space at the director level. And it was just kind of how I grew up. And I ended up in retail right out of college um, and realized, wow, I really like training and mentoring and hiring people. But holy goodness, I don't love folding stuff um, or working on Saturdays by (laughs) at all, actually. And so I was trying to find a way that I could really focus on the skills that I had that I already loved um, with, you know, getting rid of the folding. So I ended up um, at a high volume recruiting agency through someone else who I knew that had been in retail. And I was like, wow, this is great. Sort of. This is really hard. Um, And so from there, I kind of just continued to hone in on my skills and what roles I really like to fill. and eventually made the turn to go internal so I could really have an impact on, you know, culture and retention and all the stuff that actually like gets me really jazzed. Um, because as much as I love hiring people, if I can't create a culture that retains them, then I've essentially wasted everyone's time that's been in the process. Absolutely. Now tell me a little bit about what makes you different from the average HR professional. Oh, gosh. I don't know if I would say I'm necessarily different than the average HR professional. I do have blue hair, which I think is, you know, maybe like 10% of us. Um, (laughs) But I will say, like, my focus, again, is not necessarily on the top of the funnel, which is a lot of what recruiters focus on is that top of the funnel. I want to make sure that I have a culture that 
people want to stay and that nourishes them and helps them thrive. Um, I'm a really huge believer in the way that recruiting works is it has to be a good match on both ends. Like if I just fill your pipeline and put a bunch of butts in seats that aren't happy, then I've actually done everyone a huge disservice. And I really believe seeing people in jobs they truly love where they feel like they're thriving. Absolutely. And I think that that's really important. And a lot of um, HR professionals may not focus on that. We have a mandate to hire. We hire. We don't focus on whether or not the person is the right fit for our organization in terms of a cultural fit. And that really does lead to a lot of issues further down the road because we're just focused on the position and not what it brings to the what what we bring to the table in terms of a good culture and a good cultural fit. So in terms of how you go about this, what are some of the things that you would say we need to look at as HR professionals when it comes to building that good culture through talent? So I think that it has to start on the other side of the table, which means starting with your actual managers and the teams you have um, and really ensuring and making sure that they are already thriving and happy. Because here's the thing, if you already have a team that is unhappy, that doesn't feel like they're thriving, throwing a bunch more people <laughs> into that situation makes it really hard to get back to yes. a point that that's healthy. Yes. Um, and so that means making sure that your hiring managers are really being, are, are self-aware enough to be able to see that within them, their teams, but also being able to see that within themselves. Um, I focus a lot on, you know, unconscious bias and what that actually means on a team. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you interviewed someone who was brown and you said something crazy. It, it means that there's just certain biases you hold and that could be against anyone. Um, and I think in order to be a really good hiring manager and a manager in general, you have to be able to be self-aware enough to call yourself out on that. And so focusing kind of trainings around that and making sure that you are aware of the things that you're doing and how you're treating people, whether it be favoritism, which happens in every company across the world, it's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. But how do you make sure that you are self-aware enough to call yourself out when you are doing things like that? So what does your coaching strategy look like for managers? It's really more conversational than anything. I'm in general, I'm a really conversational person. Um, and so I really like to talk about the hard stuff. And so for me, I, it's not so much that I want to train people because again, self-awareness is an active choice. I can't train you to be self-aware. That's not exactly. a thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so it's more about having these hard, hard conversations. And so for example, today I had a conversation um, with another recruiter in town and we kind of talked about he wanted dreadlocks and we, he was like, I don't understand why it would be weird for me as a white man to get dreadlocks. And so rather than like, teaching him why he shouldn't have dreadlocks. We just had a conversation around, well, if I had dreadlocks in a professional setting, I would be viewed as less than because I'm a black woman. Whereas you being a white male, you get viewed as like hip and cool. Um, and so there are people who have to fight harder. And so that was the conversation we had and it kind of brought him to this new realization rather than me saying, don't do this. Right. Um, I think people have to make decisions on their own. And I think when you start telling people what to do and how to do it, um, they become defensive. <laughs> That's just yes. like human nature in general. Yes. Um, and so I am much more conversational and I'd like to talk about like people's lived experiences and my own lived experience um, mm -hmm. more so than being like, well, the internet says we should do this. So let's do this. And that makes perfect sense to have conversations as opposed to, um, trying to look for books and nothing is cookie cutter exactly so it's important that you do manage these difficult conversations and it's good that you like to have them because a lot of people don't so what's your advice to people that don't like to have these difficult conversations 
Oh goodness. Um, it is just part of life. And I think that means you have to get, get good at having hard conversations on all ends of the spectrum. And that means at work, at home, with your family, with your neighbor across the street who doesn't like the way you park your car. Like, I just think there's never going to be a point in life where hard conversations don't exist. Yes. And by, you know, shutting yourself away, you miss out on really great opportunities to connect with people because maybe you thought it was going to be a hard conversation, but it was actually going to be like a conversation that was like a complete turning point for you. Um, and so I think it, it does take a lot of courage to be vulnerable enough to be wrong. And I think that's where people tend to shy away is at the idea that they could be wrong about something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, uh, it's really good to be wrong. Like I love to fail and I love to fail fast. <laughs> so I want to know, I want to know when I'm wrong and I want to know when I can, you know, change my behavior and when I can do things differently. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, like there are times where I'm not wrong, but it's also really important to see other people's perspectives. Yes. We call that being human. Correct. Yes. I actually like um, what you said before, because it really is important to understand that failure is not a bad thing. And to be able to work through it makes you better as a professional. So, so that's really good. And also it makes you more agile because then you know that, okay, this didn't work. So you can pivot and go back here and do something different or you move on, pivot, move on, pivot, move on, but you're always going to make mistakes and, and that's okay. So that's, that's a good perspective that you have as, as well in terms of how you deal with it. So let me ask you, what does culture look like to you and a good organizational culture? Because you build culture. It's something that takes time. What does that look like to you? So your internet or my internet cut out for like that whole sentence. Could we just repeat that sentence? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That's okay. So I was asking you, what does a good organizational culture look like to you? It's something that you build over time, but what does it look like while you're building it? So I think for me, the most important thing that I can tell leaders to focus on is psychological safety. Um, So often we don't focus on that. And I can't tell you how many organizations are fear-based organizations. So instead of leading by like, we're all in this together, you're leading by like, everyone is scared they're going to get fired tomorrow if they don't do exactly what you say. Um, And that creates a really hard environment to thrive, not just like from a performance standpoint, but also mentally. And I'm a really, you know, big advocate for taking care of your your mental health and self-care and it's really hard to do that in, in a place where you you're scared all of the time. And I think too many leaders are just new leaders and didn't, you know, they kind of got handed this torch where they were, someone was like, here, go do this thing without mm-hmm. being like, Hey, you also have to be empathetic and you have to be compassionate and you have to be kind. Um, and so instead leaders who don't know how to lead, they micromanage. And I think that is the biggest thing that will turn a toxic, toxic culture, like quickly. Yeah. Um, because one, no one likes to micromanage. It's it's not a thing that anyone really enjoys to have someone mm-hmm. like breathing down your neck all the time. But at the same time, it just, the more someone does that, the more you end up presenting them. And then the more you end up presenting them, you're just like sitting in that every day. Yeah. Um, and eventually that people around you can feel that as well. And so I think leading from a place of that you're thinking about people's psychological safety and are mm-hmm. they comfortable coming to you to say, hey, I have too much on my plate right now. Because I don't know a lot of organizations where people feel comfortable enough to say, hey, I've just got too much right now. Like I'm doing, you know, and I need to be able to prioritize. I yeah. think a lot of companies want to do 12 things 
at once. At once. But you can't do, yeah, and you can't do 12 things well. You can do like no. four things well. Exactly, exactly. So Correct. not cool. Yeah. It's funny that you said that because I was actually just listening to a, a, a LinkedIn live session with um Dr. Dr. Tina session. And she was talking about one of these companies that um, right now where they've actually just advised all of their employees that they're going to be monitoring them remotely. So they're monitoring every keystroke to see if they're being productive. Clearly the opposite of creating psychological safety. Yep. And I feel like a lot of companies right now are like, we're in this really weird time where all of these companies said we can't function remote, then magically everyone figured it out. Yeah. Um, however, although they, they figured out how to work remote, they didn't figure out how to trust their people. Yeah. And so we, had, we now have all of these people who are making their, you know, their people log into Zoom every morning so that they can log, they can see how often that their, their computers are shut or how often they go to the bathroom. Like, to me, that is just completely crazy because yep. one if I'm really good at my job and I get my job done in six and a half hours and I go to the bathroom three times like why does that matter exactly exactly <laughs> it's, it's one of it's one of my personal biggest pet peeves because I believe that if people are being productive and they're getting their jobs done why do you have to monitor whether they do it between eight to five nine to five if they're getting the job done what does it matter how many times they go to the water cooler or they go to the bathroom? Are you getting the work done? Yes. Then what's the problem? Exactly. Or even, I mean, and the same thing happens in offices because I know there are people who feel like can't go again, but it's like, oh my God, like if you need to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. Like some of us drink a lot of water. Yes. And so I just, I don't understand why we hire people if we can't also trust them, trust them. to do their job. Yes. Because that was the whole point of hiring them. You hired them to do this thing. So exactly. let them just go be good at this thing. Exactly. You you looked at their resume, they jumped through all your hoops, you decided, okay, I'm going to hire this person. And when you hire them, it's like, okay, no, I want you to do this, but I want you to do it under my supervision. No, 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 no. I want you to do it this way. And, yep. and that is where the toxicity begins. A hundred percent. I actually, um, I wrote an article that I'm going to publish tomorrow morning about fear-based leadership and what that actually mm -hmm. looks like, but specifically under like that mean girl mentality, which I think at least here kind of in the startup world is a huge thing where the mean girl thing is still really cool. Um, or I, I would say cool in parentheses because like, yeah. it's not cool, it's but it is sad. like a huge, yeah, it's a huge thing that happens here. And people are, you know, scared to just like function at work, mm -hmm. which is just so crazy to me that, that leaders think that they get better work out of people when they're scared. When in actuality, you get better work out of people when they feel comfortable and safe and like they exactly. can trust the people they're around. Exactly. And and when people are vulnerable, they innovate and they create better studies have shown that over time. A hundred percent. And it's like if you're spending 40% of your time trying to like be someone else because you're trying to fit in, you're only spending 60% of your effort on your actual job. And so if we could just let people spend a hundred percent of their effort on their job, how much better would they be? 100%. So I'm going to ask you, what is your biggest pet peeve as a professional in terms of misconceptions about HR? Um, I guess that we're like the police essentially. And I actually, um, so like my title right now is VP of people, um, not VP of HR. And for me, that's very intentional. Because right. I think when people hear HR, they think of someone who is just trying to protect the business. Mm -hmm. And so realistically, that is a huge function of what HR does. However, 
every company has a legal team they work with. Like end of the day, the people who are protecting your company are your legal team. Um, and I think people are less comfortable going to HR knowing that like this could be something turned against them. And I want to make sure that at every point of the day, people know that like my job here is to protect them, develop them and make sure that they have an organization that they come to every day that makes them feel whole and fulfilled. Um, versus I think HR, we kind of get labeled as people, you know, HR walks by and everyone stops talking. <laughs> I don't ever want to be that person. I, I want people to feel like they can, they can come to me and whether it be yeah. like they're comfortable enough to come to me with something that's happening in their personal life that they just need to vent about or something is happening at work. I want them to always feel that safety to do that. And I think sometimes it gets a little misconstrued with HR because so often um, you hear stories about companies that did the wrong thing because they were protecting their company instead of protecting their people. Yes. I agree with this 100%. So many times I hear we can't trust HR, they're not confidential, or I don't feel comfortable going to HR with a conversation about something that's happening to me right now. And really and truthfully, once that is happening, we know we failed as HR professionals because we should be the safe haven if the manager is not. Ultimately, there should be someone in the organization who is a safe haven, and at best, it should be HR. And it's, and it's like, if you can't go to HR, then who do you go to? Exactly. And then you have to think about all these big companies where people don't feel like they're going to HR. How many, like, really scary things are not being talked about? Absolutely. And that's always, like, that's, like, the stuff that keeps me up at night. <laughs> yes. Yes. I agree with you. And, you know, it's one of those things that really bothers me, especially at this time, um, someone made a very good point and I, and I thought it was so um, thought provoking and powerful that in this time of COVID-19 where people are now having to stay at home, how much increase is there in domestic violence? Oh yeah, 100% or even, I mean, it's just the the waves that this will create are just like so scary for me. And for some people or like children who depend on our school systems to get fed, like mm -hmm. there are kids who are missing out on food, but it's the same thing where people are now stuck inside with partners who they were using work to escape from. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a hundred, you know, I'm a person who has lived through that. My whole breakup made like Buzzfeed and the internet. So like my abusive relationship was like all over America at one point. Wow. And so I literally can't imagine like being stuck in a house with him. Like I had days where I was snowed in with him and it uh -huh. was for like two days. And I, I was like counting down to be like, Oh my God, please let me get out of the house. And so it's just, if you don't feel like you can go to HR with things like that, then it's mm -hmm. a lot of people can't go. You can't go to your family and you certainly can't go to theirs. And so sometimes HR is the only person you can reach out to because it's like someone who is an unbiased influence. Exactly. So all the more reason for us to really be that outlet to provide that safety. And I was in another conversation with someone who was saying, you know, HR is really the, the key to the organization. We have the keys to the organization across the board because we impact every single person, whether they're in leadership down to the janitor, we have an impact on every single individual life. And if we don't, reach out if we're not the pulse people are not going to feel easy they're not going to feel comfortable coming to us to have those kind of conversations and and that really scares me 
Definitely. And I think the other thing is, um, and I, I, tr- I try really hard not to do it, but if you're mm-hmm. only having conversations with people when they are in trouble or something negative has happened, how can they trust you to come with things otherwise? They're, you're essentially like the bad news police. Like you, yeah. you bring bad news. You should be creating friendships. On, on a regular level. Like you don't have to talk about work all the time. Like you can ask right. about the weather. You can just ask about their dog. Yeah. Um, And I think getting to know your people is critically important because again, it's hard to go to a stranger with like your deepest secrets. Exactly. And, and how is it that you don't take the time to know your people? That's a a real blocker in progressing your relationship with the employees in the organization. I can't think of um, any organization that I haven't been in where you don't take the time to get to know your employees and know if they have pets or how many children they have, what their favorite food is, what's their favorite time of the year, whether it's carnival or Christmas or whatever the case may be. But if you don't know those little things about each and every person in your organization, it's time for you to get up from behind your desk and go and learn your people. A hundred percent. I totally agree. And I think, again, human connection has sometimes been lost in the, in the day of technology. Um, because how often do we just kind of like hide behind emails and computers all day? And I think it is really important to actually have like face-to-face conversations with people. And that doesn't mean like they have to be face-to-face because I know for me, like I have five markets, you know, here in the U S and that means I want to have virtual coffee. I want to see your face and see your body language and get to know you like the person. I don't want to talk about work. I want to talk about you and your pets and your kids and all of this stuff. Because at the end of the day, that's really what I care about. I'm not hiring people because they are, obviously I'm hiring them because they're good at their job, but that's not why I hire them. They're not a robot. Um, I'm hiring them because they add value to my organization. And that value comes from the individual that they are, not necessarily, you know, the work they do every day, but who they are as a person. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. So tell me, Madison, what are you reading right now that you think other HR professionals should be reading? So I don't know. I didn't read it. I'm not reading it right now. I finished it. Um, but I don't know um, if you've read the memo by Minda Hartz. Um, and it's not necessarily super HR related, but I do think it plays a huge part um, because I am focused pretty heavily on diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is about how Black women get a seat at the proverbial table. And right. I do think it's a good read for everyone because it is not just Black women. It is Black women in general, but specifically marginalized women. Um, so the memo I'm into hearts, it's about right. how Black black women get to see the proverbial table. And I think if people just knew and understood how hard different marginalized people had to work just to get where they are, um, we would all have a better understanding of the people around us. And I think we would all come to the table essentially with a little bit more empathy and a little bit more kindness. Absolutely. I haven't read it, but I did see you mention it in a in a blog that I read about you recently and where you listed a, a, a few other books. So I, I do have them in my Amazon shopping cart. So thank you so much for that. She's amazing. Like even as a human, I just, she's like one of my favorite people to follow on, you know, Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. I just think she's, you know, she's really great. Wonderful. Any last tips and advice that you have for us as it relates to creating a diverse workforce? Yeah, I mean, I guess so my my other thing, and I know you asked me my biggest pet peeve about HR, and this isn't necessarily my biggest pet peeve about HR. This is just as a whole. Um, I think right now this whole, like, obviously diversity itself is its own buzzword, but we're also now using culture fit as its own buzzword. And I really would challenge HR leaders and leaders in general to think outside of this culture fit thing. Um, because I think if we want diverse 
cultures, we can't say that we need someone to fit into a box. Um, and I know for me, like, I don't want to fit into a box. I don't want to try and fit into a space that wasn't intentionally created for me. I want to be able to come in and take up space. And so if you want people to broaden your perspective and broaden your organization, we can no longer think about culture fit because then we just hire people who are very similar to us. Mm -hmm. And it is okay to hire people that you don't necessarily want to hang out with. We shouldn't just hang out with, we're very, very similar. Um, And so, you know, I encourage people to think rather than do they fit in my culture, like what value do they add? And thinking of people as value adds versus culture fits. And I think we would create more diverse teams, you know, across the board. Madison Butler, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate the insights that you've brought to the table as it relates to culture, diversity, recruiting. You really covered an entire gambit of topics that I really think are pertinent to what we're facing today in organizations. So tell us last, what is next for Madison Butler? Oh, goodness. Um, I guess making sure that I can help people, whether it be my team or people in general, get through this really weird time that we're living through. Um, You know, my biggest focus is making sure that people are finding the help that they need. And I'm obviously, you know, I work internal, which means I only have so many roles of my own, but I want to make sure that anyone who does reach out to me that I can help them as much as possible, whether it be networking them or looking at a resume. Um, I do really believe that everyone is good at the heart of everything. And I want to make sure that, again, this doesn't ruin people's careers. This is such a weird, weird thing that we're all living through. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the only way to get through it is to get through it, but, you know, together. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Madison. I really appreciate the time that you took to have this conversation with me today. And I'm sure that our audience appreciates all the insights and tips that you have given us. So thank you for sounding off with us. And I look forward to seeing many amazing things about you going forward. And I look forward to at some time welcoming you to Disrupt HR Barbados. I'm very excited. And thank you for dealing with me and all of my technology problems. <laughs> no worries. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again when we next sound off.